You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Being in opposition, you get up and say no. Being the majority, you get up every morning and say, now how am I going to move this? How do I get 218 people to agree? And it was literally dramatically harder than I thought it would be. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Newt Gingrich was first elected to Congress from Georgia's 6th District in 1978. By the late 1980s, he had risen to a position of leadership in the House GOP, and in 1994, he was largely responsible for the Republican wave that took over the House. And by 1995, Newt Gingrich had become the first Republican House Speaker in 40 years. But by 1997, infighting in the GOP put Gingrich on the defensive. And he didn't help his own cause when, in the fall of 1997, he was almost single-handedly responsible for a nearly month-long government shutdown in a dispute with the Clinton administration over a continuing budget resolution. Now, at the time, Gingrich was quoted as saying that he had felt snubbed by President Clinton on a long flight on Air Force One, and that's why he dug in his heels on the budget resolution. Well, in the spring of 1998, Newt Gingrich published a book called Lessons Learned the Hard Way. So here now, from 1998, Newt Gingrich. I felt that after three years as Speaker that it was time to report to the members of our movement uh, on what we had accomplished, and it was time to just share with the American people uh, what really works in Washington, what doesn't, and, uh, and the lessons I think that can be learned. It's almost like the starting pitcher offering his analysis of where he went wrong, what pitches he didn't do right in the third inning while he's still on the mound. Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of that. Maybe it's like a football team at halftime reviewing what went right and wrong the first half and making adjustments and, and doing it so that citizens, activists, state legislators, governors, members of Congress, and members of the news media could look at it and say, okay, I see a little bit different adjustment here than maybe I would have expected otherwise. I do have to wonder, and I and I and I do say this respectfully. What is the, what is there in it for you to be so blunt and and tell us what mistakes you've made when you're still in a position to be making more? Well, I think uh, we wrote the contract with America as a very honest relationship with the American people, and I think lessons learned the hard way continues the honesty of that relationship. Uh, you know, we have strengths, we have weaknesses. Here's what we're doing, and and uh, in order to win the war on drugs and and reform education and. Uh, have the kind of program to save retirement and social security that we want to have, I think we have to have an honesty that allows people to feel like uh, we're really trying and we're really uh, keeping our word. I did b appreciate the sense of humor that you brought to the book. I mean, there are some moments in there where you can look back and maybe not guffaw, but at least you can have a little giggle at your own expense. Oh, sure. I think if you don't have a sense of humor, I don't think you can really be very good at this. You're, you're trying to work with and lead people, and, you know, sometimes... Uh, you do things that are just wrong, and I think it's a lot better to laugh at yourself than it is to uh, try to hide it or try to pretend it didn't happen. And, and hindsight is twenty twenty, as you point out in the chapter on the Air Force One incident. There's, there's no question if I could do it over again, I would do that entire breakfast different, and we'd have an entire three-week section of my life that would have disappeared and been replaced by a more positive experience. Now, you refer to that in your book as the single most avoidable mistake you've made during your, your time as speaker. Yeah, it was totally unnecessary, uh, because 
I didn't, you know, I was talking as a college teacher, and I wasn't a college teacher. I was the speaker of the house, and and I had to remember, you know, that that was my other career. That's the one I gave up to go be speaker. And I think you look back at it and you say, you know, that you just there was no reason to do that. I, I guess there are times maybe when you just forget that there are members of the working press listening. Well, I know my problem is that that a large part of me really likes to teach and likes to be a teacher, and so I have this. I slide into. Uh, leaving my sort of government job and picking up my uh, my former job because I really like the action, the activity of teaching. I like people learning. I like the idea that we we both get to be better if we learn from each other. And and uh, there are times in my job when, frankly, that's not my job. You talk about things in your book that maybe if it had been the Democrats trying it with Ronald Reagan in the White House or George Bush in the White House might have succeeded, but with a Republican majority and William Jefferson Clinton in the White House didn't work. Yeah, part of it is that Reagan and Bush never had the news media with them, and so it's much harder for them to communicate, whereas uh, the, the media, particularly in the first year and a half, uh, had a tremendous uh, uh, tendency, I think, to resist what we were doing. I think having won the 96 election, having gotten the balanced budget, the tax cuts, having saved Medicare, we're in a different relationship now. We get much better coverage than we got three years ago, but at the time... We didn't have all the advantages that a Democratic Congress would have had in the same kind of situation. Your tactics depend on who your opponent is? Oh, absolutely. I think you've got to really think through, uh, you know, who are you up against, what are you trying to get done, and, uh, and what are their strengths and weaknesses, and what are your strengths and weaknesses. And that changes very much from from situation to situation, and so you've got to constantly be rethinking it. You can have principles, but you can't have a fixed permanent plan because the world changes. When you look at what Clinton can do with, uh, I think you said in the book, a, a victim and and a, a sad story, it'll bring a, a tear to your eye and a lump to your throat, but Ronald Reagan could do that too. Yeah, but they were very different uh, styles. Uh, Clinton is much more personally engaging. Reagan was a much better charismatic uh, leader from the, from, from the stump. Reagan used his uh, skills to achieve a set of programs. Uh, so he set out to cut taxes. He set out to defeat the Soviet Empire. He set out to rebuild America's pride in itself. Those were very consciously thought out efforts, and Reagan was brilliant at doing it. And I think it's somebody really worth studying. Uh, but um, Clinton tends to use his skills, which are very great, uh, largely for personal popularity rather than for a programmatic effect. Have you learned lessons about keeping your own health, your own stamina up? Yeah, I'm, I'm much more disciplined about getting enough sleep. I'm much more disciplined about what I eat and about exercising regularly. And I think that's all, frankly, uh, given me a better sense of balance and maybe a, a healthier, more relaxed uh, attitude. I must say you look great today. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. We, I was up this morning exercising, as a matter of fact. But, you know, I, mean, I, I must say it takes a brave man to put in print in a book for people to read uh, about being given advice a little over a year ago, the State of the Union, on what to wear and how to look so that you wouldn't look chubby. I think actually the word was closer to, you know, fat, but I don't... Uh, well, it, it is hard. I mean, I, I, it was very embarrassing. Trent Lott, who's one of my dear friends and the Senate Majority Leader, came over to advise me, and I thought after he left, I thought, you know, if things have gotten bad enough that the Senate Majority Leader is offering advice, and I think everybody who's listening to us, I mean, think about that day you had after Christmas or that that day after Thanksgiving when, uh, you know, the, the blue jeans didn't quite fit, and you began to say to yourself, okay, crisis time has arrived here, either a new wardrobe or a diet. I think almost every adult American, can I, they've lived through this, and that's part of what I think makes Lessons Learned the Hard Way real, is that uh, when you see that story, you know 
that's a real story. That happened to you. And I've tried to be equally honest about things that most people don't do. I mean, uh, you know, relations with the Senate, relations with the news media, getting bills passed. People may not be able to measure those because they never did it, but they can look at the human side of this book. And I think lessons learned the hard way, and they can test for themselves, does this sound like something I personally have been through? And it turns out we're all in the same game. Still, though, if I put on a few pounds of Thanksgiving, nobody's going to see me for an hour on live national television standing, uh, sitting behind the president. Well, it, it is, and it's very, it's very awkward because imagine, you know, I'm a conservative Republican, but I'm also his host. He is the president of the United States. So even if he says something I think is peculiarly wrong, my job is to be pleasant and sit there. And, and uh, it's the most disciplined hour of the year for me. And, and uh, my wife and my daughters watch like hawks to make sure that, you know, just, you know, keep your face straight and, you know, don't, you know, don't put bunny ears behind you. <laughs> after this short break, Newt Gingrich reveals the advice his wife gave him right after he became Speaker of the House. back to my 1998 conversation with Newt Gingrich. I, I, you, again, you open it very candidly. You open the book by telling as you're, as you're out driving with your wife uh, the, uh, around Thanksgiving and you're wondering, boy, this is going to be a big change. And she says, you have no idea how big the change is. It, um, it, was, it was amazing to look back on. I mean, um, Marianne has an ability, she's from Ohio, and she can deliver in this sort of flat Midwestern style. Uh, you know, I, I was being very exuberant and very, boy, you know, boy, I, I just got to be speaker for the first time in 40 years. You have a Republican speaker, and it's Newt Gingrich, and I'm excited. And I said, this is going to be a big change. And she looked at me for a second, and, and I can't quite imitate her, but it was a, you have no idea how big this change is. And it was so definitive, because I, I remember staring at her. And about two and a half years later, I said, okay. You were right. <laughs> I had no idea. And, she, and, and, and we have a very close relationship, and so she said in a very calm way, yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> but and that's, she was. that's the whole point of your book, though, is that, it, is that it was a lot harder than you thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, you know, there had been no Republican speaker in 40 years, and no Republican speaker was reelected since 1928. And I just don't think I had realized that being the majority party trying to do good things, trying to pass welfare reform, trying to balance the budget, trying to cut taxes, trying to save Medicare, that doing those positive things was about 50 or 100 times harder. I thought it was two or three times harder. But being in opposition, you get up and say no. Being the majority, you get up every morning and say, now, how am I going to move this? How am I going to get, how do I get 218 people to agree? How do I get the Senate to agree? What do we have to work on today? And it was literally uh, dramatically harder than I thought it would be. Like trying to herd cats. Well, it's like trying to herd cats in the right direction at a time when, uh, you know, they got five dogs and 16 birds running around in the same room, and the cats are all sort of ignoring you. With CNBC and, and Fox and CNN and uh, C-SPAN and everything, watching every move you make. Yeah, I think one of the things that's fascinating is to a degree that was not true until the last 15 years, we are now becoming a transparent society where almost everything is public. And, you know, I think that means that you, you, uh, you can't lose your temper, that you can't uh, say something off the cuff. It means you've got to be much more careful just in general. And just realize that if you're going to be in public life, it has to be a fairly disciplined uh, process. Uh, and that, I think, again, you know, when we were the backbench Republicans, we couldn't get attention. 
And so we would do things to get people to pay attention to us. Suddenly we were in center stage with full lights, with every camera on, and it was we just had no idea the difference in those two experiences. But I guess an important rule to also understand is that you're never going to please everyone. Yeah, I think you've got to learn to do the right thing and then let history judge. Because if you if you spend all day anxiety-ridden trying to please everybody, one, you'll go nuts. Two, you won't please anybody. And three, you won't get anything done. So I think it's very important to just say, okay, I'm going to listen to everybody. Then I'm going to do the right thing. And I try to make the point in Lessons Learned the Hard Way that there's a difference between listening to everybody and obeying them. You listen to everybody, then you have to think, and then you have to lead. It's not the same. Once a lesson is learned, is it learned, learned, or can you still make the same mistake again? Well, again, I think all of our listeners think about your own life. You know you know, you should not eat at uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know you're going to gain weight. You know you're going to be mad by the middle of January. And guess what? About every year, you eat too much at Christmas, you eat too much at Thanksgiving, you're mad. I think you the le- lessons learned the hard way, I think, is helpful both to teach people lessons they may not have learned and as a reminder when you start forgetting them. But in the end, you've got to remember every day yourself to actually do it or it doesn't count. What's the biggest thing you've done right? I mean, after you spent a whole book talking about the mistakes you made. What's the biggest thing you've done right since you've been speaker? had total faith in the American people and the idea that if you tell them the truth that they rally in amazing ways. Newt Gingrich resigned from the House of Representatives in 1999. He ran unsuccessfully for the Republican presidential nomination in 2012. Newt Gingrich is 78 now. He remains active in Republican politics. His new book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, will be published in July. And you can find easy Amazon links to some of Newt Gingrich's books at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with the man who was Senate Majority Leader when Newt Gingrich was Speaker, former Republican Senator Bob Dole. People say, why didn't you do this in 96? Why have you done more this election? I'd have voted for you. If you'd have made the Visa commercial before the election, I'd have voted for you. <laughs> and my 1996 interview with Newt Gingrich's half-sister, Candace Gingrich, who is active in the LGBTQ plus community. I am a blood relative of the man who is the, the head of the Republican Revolution, who has ushered in this new brand of conservatism that you believe in. Therefore, quit lying to people. Gays come from all kinds of American families, and you can't stereotype us. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we'll revisit my interview with the woman whose own experience inspired her memoir, a book called Girl Interrupted, which became a major motion picture. My 1994 conversation with Susanna Kaysen. People who haven't had experience with mental illness don't understand how ambivalent the person who's going through it can feel. You know, people say, was it a good experience or a bad experience for you being in the hospital? And that question just doesn't have a yes-no answer. It's both. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.